Welcome to another episode of Goldwater Scholar Highlights, where we interview notable Goldwater scholars and honorable mentions on their educational backgrounds, their research, and their careers. For our scholars who are tuning in, this is a great way to stay engaged with the rest of the Goldwater Scholar community and to learn from their experiences. You can keep up with the Goldwater Scholar Highlights podcast on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, or Spotify, and you can follow the Goldwater Scholar community on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Okay, now the guest that we have on today is a biostatistics PhD student at the University of Iowa. She's studying survival analysis and statistical methods for epidemiology and understanding cancer incidence and mortality in the United States. This is Melissa J. Thank you, Zohab, for the introduction. So as you mentioned, my name is Melissa J. I am a PhD student in biostatistics at the University of Iowa. Um, I was awarded the Goldwater Scholarship in 2015 while I was studying math at Colorado College. And during my time there, I really spent a lot of time figuring out how I wanted to apply what I was learning um, to an area that excited me. So I participated in a variety of research experiences and jobs. Um, and what really uh, inspired me was a program I participated in called the Summer Institute in Biostatistics at Iowa. Um, and this sort of motivated my interest in going to graduate school. So I took a little time to make sure that that is what I wanted to do. But now I have completed two years in the PhD program. Um, and I'm particularly interested in statistics for cancer epidemiology, spatial statistics, and survival analysis. Great. And, and did you learn about that field during that summer program? Or were you always interested in statistics? Um, so I, yeah, coming from a math background, um, I took a couple introductory courses at my school, but really got a handle for what biostatistics was at um, this summer institute. So I didn't I knew that health was an area I was interested in, but didn't really know how I wanted to connect my quantitative skills with that area. Um, so during that time, I did a project actually related to something a little different. I was doing hearing research. Um, so understanding um, how people and especially children um, could understand and interpret speech when they're using cochlear implants. And I really um, enjoyed that project. And the project I'm doing now is actually with the same faculty member that I did that project with. Um, so I've kind of had the opportunity to explore a few different areas of health, um, but my interest in cancer research kind of evolved as I was in graduate school. At Colorado College is where I did my math, um, but I uh, took time to do some other research programs at, at different places to, to land in this research area. Got it, got it. So, so how did you learn about this program while you were in your undergraduate? So I was actually just looking around online. I had taken an intro statistics course um, at CC and really loved it. And um, I went on the America, American Statistical Association website to look at what sort of undergraduate programs were available in that area. So I found these um, summer institutes and they actually have them in probably six or seven different locations. Um, so I was very interested. Um, this seemed like a big area where there was a lot of need for a quantitative background. And I applied um, and got accepted to the University of Iowa's program. And I'm very happy with that decision because I, you know, put in applications for a whole variety of different application areas for statistics. But this is where I found 
my big interest. Very cool, Melissa. Can we go a little bit into the techniques that you use in your statistical analysis? Absolutely, yeah. So um, as I mentioned, like my one of my big research projects right now is at the intersection of spatial statistics and cancer epidemiology. So I've always had this really big interest in doing um, cancer research and specifically understanding how can we reduce the incidence and mortality associated with cancer and how can we make sure that um, everyone has access to quality care. So um, I was motivated by the application and then learned the statistical methods that went along with it. Um, so right now what we're doing is we're estimating cancer incidence and mortality in the United States at the county level. Um, so we're looking at right now all the counties in the contiguous U.S., 3,000 3, counties, and some of them have very few cancer cases. So we need to come up with a way to estimate them and have more reliable um, estimates so county health departments can understand what um, if like their county is at, at a particularly high risk, what are potential variables or, you know, are there environmental factors associated with this increase in cancer mortality? Um, is it because this county does not have um, easy access to a care facility? So we're using um, Bayesian statistical techniques, um, which are allowing us to not only use information from the county, but also use information from all of the neighboring counties in order to um, in order to come up with these reliable estimates and um, use the spatial information that we have. Cool. Can you and you mentioned Bayesian statistical methods? Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that and uh, what variables you're interested in kind of isolating to see what which ones are related to cancer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with the Bayesian methods, um, we are we're doing something called Bayesian hierarchical models where we're using a Poisson regression. So Poisson regression looks at a bunch of different factors and predicts like a count out of, uh, so we're doing rates. We're trying to figure out per 100,000 people in the county, like how many, um, what is an estimate for the cancer mortality rate? Um, so some of the variables that we're using in these models um, are like environmental variables that have been related with cancer. So radon exposure is really big um, in certain areas and is very uh, has been associated with lung cancer. Um, we're looking at variables that relate to water quality. Um, and we're also looking at, like I said, variables related to cancer access, healthy diets um, in order to potentially see what, why the estimate in a certain county is so high. Um, do they have a high, uh, or is there a lot of obesity in that county? Are there high radon levels? Um, and while we're not, you know, looking at a cause and effect relationship here, we can at least look at the variables that are associated and start to explore those further. Yeah, how, how did, I didn't even know radon was that related to cancer incidence and more mortality in counties. Is that a related to in industrial factories or certain types of goods and services offered? Um, so that's a good question. So yeah, it's been explored a lot in Iowa, um, especially like the radon is really high and there's been a lot of studies here. Um, I know radon just like tends to stick around indoor buildings. So in the places where radon's high, you need to have these like monitors, um, and it's really um, occurring a lot inside. That's where the exposure is occurring. 
Um, there, but there is a lot of literature sp specifically related to lung cancer that radon is a problem. Are there any sort of obstacles that come in the way of your Bayesian um, statistical methods? Do you need to meet a certain threshold to actually say something is um, actually statistically relevant? Yeah, so I think, well, one of the biggest barriers of this project so far has actually been on the data collection side. So we need a good data set to run with these models in order to make the correct inferences. And um, it has been an enormous project. So we, you know, we had to request data um, from the CDC on mortality rate um, and like uh, mortality, like reasons for mortality basically. So we can uh, look at the right cancers and have these good estimates. Um, and in addition, we need to collect data on all of these different variables. So we're including dozens of variables in the analysis and um, county borders have changed over time and um, some measurements aren't available in certain places if there aren't the monitors. So it's been a big uh, matching game to get basically, you know, fill in all the missing data so that we can use these models. Um, so right now that's been the challenge. I think um, the Bayesian models can handle um, some of the missing data well. But, you know, you need to make sure that you have a pretty complete and accurate data set. And it's just been a lot of tedious work making sure that we have all of that. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I see that you were a lab instructor for the Iowa Summer Institute in Biostatistics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that was uh, one of my assistantship positions this summer. Um, I have really wanted to gain teaching experience, and this has been amazing to, you know, one, get some experience teaching, but two, um, as I had mentioned, that's the program that got me interested in biostatistics. So it's cool to see and to work with students who I was in the same position five years ago, um, and it's really amazing. So I'm, I'm teaching R right now, um, which is like a statistical programming language, um, but it's been just really exciting over the weeks of the Institute to see so many students get very excited about biostatistics, um, or if not, even just develop their quantitative skill sets um, that will prepare them for anything they're doing. So I have really enjoyed that experience and seeing how far they've come and how they've been able to apply the skills that we're doing in lab and the skills they're learning in their class um, to their research projects. Right, right. And I'm sure that having RStudio in your tool belt moving forward must be very useful from an undergraduate point of view. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, R was a huge skill that when I participated, I was able to use in so many different settings. And I think even just coming out with an appreciation or an understanding of a programming language is just really valuable when you're, you know, looking for a job, considering graduate school, whichever path you decide to take. Um, which is awesome that it's being taught. Yeah, so are you interested in staying in academia and um, trying to become a professor? Yeah, so academia um, is definitely where my interests lie right now. I, Like I said, I tried a few different areas because I wasn't sure, especially when I was in undergrad, which area I wanted to go into. Um, but I feel that I want to focus on specifically on teaching and research mentorship for undergraduates. Um, I had a really strong um, foundation based on like the mentorship that I received as an undergrad, and that really got me to where I am right now in graduate school. So I would love to be involved in introducing undergraduates to research opportunities and um, just to 
you know, helping them develop a skill set and an appreciation for it um, in order to pursue whatever they would like in the future. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Do you have any advice for our listeners who are interested in teaching? Um, I definitely think so. I haven't done this yet, but it is something that I would like to do is a lot of universities offer um, through their colleges of education opportunities to develop your uh, teaching assistant skills, because um, this was the first opportunity that I had to do this in graduate school. And it was definitely a learning experience, you know, um, just learning what sort of material to present and um, how to organize what you're doing and to most effectively communicate it. So I think having any formal training is really great. And that's something that I look forward to hopefully taking advantage of in the future. Um, But it also just comes with practice. So if you're interested in teaching, definitely um, certain departments have more teaching opportunities available than others. So in biostatistics right now, it's just a graduate department. So there aren't as many um, more opportunities are becoming available, but um, being a teaching assistant for undergraduates is not as common. Um, so also look into if you're really interested in teaching, what sort of opportunities are available? Can you do it? Can you TA in a different department and just like figure out what skills you want to develop and, and where the resources are? What are what are some challenges do you face in um, teaching undergraduates and biostatistics? Do do kids get pretty um, intimidated by our studio? Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve there. So I think um, a challenge is that, especially in a um, summer program where people have come from so many different backgrounds, majors, there's definitely a wide variety of um, ranges of how familiar people are with our studio. So there are some students who already know R. Uh, there were some students who had, had not programmed before. Um, so being able to cater uh, the work that you're in the um, material that you're teaching to um, a variety of different levels so that you're challenging everyone, um, but you're also making sure those who um, need a good foundation get that foundation. I think that's been one of the challenges, um, but it's definitely something that I've gotten better at as I've gone on. But in the start, it was it was a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure once you, you know, you, you probably learn a thousand things about our studio since you use it in your research, but trying to return to how you thought about it when you were an undergraduate must be must be difficult. Yeah, at times it is because it feels like it was a long time ago. Um, but I was also in the position where I didn't know any art studio when I started. So okay. I try to think about that. Um, when I went into the program, it was a huge learning curve for me. Um, and I just try to assure people not to get discouraged because I had no programming experience going in. So I do use a lot of R. It's my favorite. (laughs) Um, But now that I'm doing Bayesian statistics, um, that's a lot more computational because you're um, doing a lot of sampling. Um, So it, um, I use OpenBugs, which is like a software that you can use for spatial modeling. I use R, and then a lot of people in biostatistics use SAS. So that's the commercial um, statistical software versus R, which is an open source, anyone can contribute packages kind of software. So that's primarily uh, what I use, but um, there's just a whole variety of programs now people are starting to use. Python is becoming very big as well. Okay, and in your opinion, what sort of skills should one focus on 
for being successful in graduate school? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think, of course, in graduate school, you're gaining a lot of technical skills and subject matter expertise. But for me, something that I've really tried hard to focus on and think is one of the most valuable things I could take out is communication skills. So often graduate students are really uh, narrowed in on the problems they're working on. Um, and it's hard to realize that if you're explaining it to someone who has not put the time into understanding what you're understanding, you might not be able to effectively um, communicate it or um, to like a certain audience. So I think it's important to work really hard to be able to explain the research you're doing, the really complicated problem you're working on to various audiences. So um, whether it's like a department audience where there's some subject matter knowledge, the audience who might actually be using your work or implementing it. So for me, like public health practitioners um, or to your relatives in on a high level explanation, I think that that's probably one of the biggest skills you can come out with because you want to be able to um, do research where it's going to be used and understood by others and people will understand why it's so important. Right. Do you, do you have a lot of collaborators that you have to speak to and, and who are in other disciplines of science that you have to explain to a lot? Yeah, I do. I think for um, the field of biostatistics bio in particular is really collaborative. So this might be an even more important skill in this field. But I'm right now working with an epidemiologist. Um, I worked with someone in the Department of Neurology, and I've worked with someone in environmental health. So it's just really important to be able to communicate while not getting bogged down in the statistical details. That's I can have that conversation with the biostatisticians I'm working with. Um, but even so, in, with a biostat audience, it's still important to introduce it in a way where you're not getting bogged down in details because. Um, not everyone has been putting as much time into this one project in one area as I have. So I think that's um, a really valuable takeaway and something that I've just been working on a lot. Great. So so where are you now with your graduate school career track? Are you um, so you said you've been there about two years now? Yeah, so I've done two years of grad school. I am at the point right now where um, so in biostatistics, you get your master's on the way to your PhD. So I am almost at the master's. And um, generally, there's about three, three years of coursework in biostat. It's a pretty heavy course load. Um, and after that, you choose a dissertation advisor. So right now, I'm in the situation where I'm taking one more year of classes, um, trying to figure out exact my exact research interests to pursue for my full-time dissertation. Um, and, and it's a cool way. Um, it's not, there's no like formal rotations, but being able to try a couple different research assistantships to see what interests you, um, I think was really great because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do going in. Yeah, yeah. Did you, how many, did you rotate a lot of different labs or did you kind of know that, I mean, after your summer program, I'm sure you were pretty interested in, in this track, um, but did you try rotating into other labs or anything like that? Yeah, so I've tried working with a few different um, people in different areas. So um, I did research um, it, with someone in survival analysis, which I really enjoyed. I'm still um, pursuing that as one of my projects. I um, also had the opportunity to collaborate with folks working on Huntington's disease research, which was exciting. And it used a lot of different statistical techniques that I hadn't been using um, in a different role. And now I'm working on the uh, cancer research. 
So I think it's been a great opportunity to just have these different experiences um, and sort of solidify. So far, I've really enjoyed all of them, <laughs> honestly, and all the different statistics. But it also has given me an idea of like what areas of methodology might be interesting to work on in the future. Cool, cool. Um, and just going back to undergraduates and teaching, is there any sort of advice you would give undergraduates um, if you could give yourself and go back to your undergraduate years? Yeah, so I would say um, taking as many classes in different disciplines as you can. Um, I think when you're choosing a major, unless you're you know, very set, even if you are, I really would emphasize the interdisciplinary collaborations that you can uh, create from trying to work in different areas. So if I were to go back, I would definitely take more biology and health related classes just because on a regular basis, um, I'm learning as I go. But I, I think it would have been um, even easier to communicate what I'm doing if I had, a, you know, that understanding. So, you know, I'm trying to fill that in right now. But I think having the ability, even if you really know you like math or you really know you like chemistry, you know, branching out into some other departments, getting a good foundation in those would be really helpful um, in the future and in coming up with these interdisciplinary ideas with others. Right, and you never know who your collaborators are going to be in three or five years. So I guess being yeah. able to speak a lot of different languages helps Definitely. out. Definitely. Um, and do you have any advice on choosing a major or narrowing down into your scientific interests? Because I imagine you were interested in biology, but math and some other things. Yeah, um, yeah, and I did once again, like you know, try all the, some different classes in terms of choosing a major. Um, it was partially also, I really love the department that I was in. And I think having a really good feel, uh, and community in your department is really enhances your experience in undergrad. So that was definitely a consideration. Um, and then in terms of choosing a research area, I think just trying as many different research opportunities or internships as you can is valuable. Um, even if you don't like them, in some cases I did programs where I was like, this isn't for me. But it was really just valuable to determine that and to know who I work well with and what I'm what kind of qualities I'm looking for in both, you know, future work or a program or an advisor. So um, I definitely think feel is, and fit is really important um, and getting the opportunity to just try a bunch of stuff to confirm, you know, what your path is going to be. Were there any questions or um certain things you were trying to gauge from different groups to see if you would be a good fit um yeah so i definitely one asked questions about you know how collaborative the departments were and um you know our students getting together on the weekends stuff like that i thought was really important because i was looking for a good community um to be in especially if you're there for so long it's really nice to have the support of your peers um, and the attention of all the faculty members. So that was very important. I also did ask questions about work-life balance. Um, I thought that would be hugely important um, because I knew graduate school would be demanding and I wanted to make sure that people were doing things outside of, um, outside of just studying and their research. So I think those were topics, both like how collaborative the environment was, uh, work-life balance, 
And then of course, assessing to make sure that a program has the right research for you um, was definitely um, stuff that I considered. That's a perfect transition to our next question, which is are there certain activities that you do to maintain work-life balance and how, how do you go about maintaining that for yourself? Yeah, definitely. So that is um, something that I definitely struggled with when I started graduate school. There were just so many competing priorities at once um, and I had trouble making the time, but I've gotten a lot better at it. I, um, I really like outdoors activities um, or I guess you can move it indoors too. So I love rock climbing. Um, there's a really nice rock climbing wall here that I go to. Um, whenever it's nice outside, there's awesome trails. So I like to longboard or walk or hike. Um, and it's just having a hobby that you can um, maintain and making sure you have time for it every week, whether it's going twice a week um, or going to a regular workout class every week, but actually making the time for it and putting it on your schedule, I think is what helped me. Um, because it was it was definitely hard in the beginning, um, but I needed that balance in order to do a good job with my research, do a good job in my classes, and um, and stay you know calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds like good advice. There's no the one thing missing in Chicago for me right now is I haven't found a great rock climbing place yet. So that's what I. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard there's some in that nice. area. I heard there might be an outdoor wall there too, but I I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Maybe in Wisconsin or something that's nearby. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You'll find it. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any sort of um, clubs or organizations you've joined to uh, maintain that balance and have a community outside of work? Um, So I am involved. This is not outside of work, but we have a biostatistics student organization. Um, which is awesome because their goal is just to get everyone together and do fun activities. Um, they also, you know, plan some professional activities and stuff as well, but I think it really fosters a great community. So we'll have events like picnics. Um, I was the coordinator for like community service for it. So we would volunteer, which was great. Um, and that's one way that I've been able to put down the work and have a good time with everyone. Um, but outside of work, I would say I mostly pursue my own hobbies, um, as I mentioned, like rock climbing and stuff like that. Um, so that's the main organization that I have been involved with. Well, Melissa, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you today. Is there anything you want to add before we finish our interview? Um, I'm just really thankful to the Goldwater scholar uh, community committee who has organized all of this. Um, It's been really great to connect with many people already. Um, And yeah, I hope that everyone continues to be really involved in it. It's such a great initiative. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to me about and let me share my research. Well, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you today, Melissa. Can you talk a bit about your experience with our Slack interface? I remember you had some good things to say about that. Yeah, so in the introductions thread, um, people have, you know, introduced what their research interests are and everything. Um, And I was able to meet someone who was also interested in biostatistics and spatial modeling. Um, So we actually had a conversation pretty recently. And it's just really cool to connect um, with different people. Um, I think the advice of other Goldwater scholars um, has been so valuable. I uh, one of the jobs I got was actually 
through Goldwater Scholars, um, which was super cool. So I benefited so much from learning about, you know, how they did uh, in a, their application process to grad school, and it, they were just so helpful. Um, so I'm really excited that there's now this more like formal network, and I think it will be a great way for all of us to meet up at conferences and just share interests and, and support one another. So um, yeah, thank you, Zoheb, for uh, being part of this and for and for getting people together. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for doing this and being a part of Goldwater Scholar Highlights. Uh, you know, it's only really possible for us to do this because we have Goldwater Scholars who are interested in, in sharing what they know with the rest of the community. So thank you. Again, for our listeners, you can keep up with the Goldwater Scholar Highlights podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, or Spotify. And we also have a lot of great articles on our Scholar Highlights, and you can access those through our social media sites on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching for the Goldwater Scholar community. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon with our next guest.